Well, good morning. Uh, thanks to the brothers for that video. I've enjoyed meeting with those guys and studying and making those videos. I don't think, I haven't appeared in one yet, uh, so I think I'm lined up for the next two. But you get me this morning, so uh, here I am. Actually, I was not supposed to be here this morning. We had it all lined up for Brian Leong to be a guest preacher this morning. Brian's a pastor at Lord's Grace Christian Church, which is just uh, around the corner from us, but Brian's mother uh, was diagnosed about a month ago with a very fast-spreading version of cancer, and she died actually last uh, week, last Wednesday. Strong believer, so there's rejoicing in that, but there's also a lot of sadness as well. So I'd like to begin our morning by praying for Brian. Uh, Lord, I thank you for our faithful brother, and I pray that you continue to sustain him in ministry, but comfort him in this loss. Thank you for this great, faithful life that his mother had lived and I uh, know there's singing in heaven, Lord, but there's a morning here on earth, and I uh, pray that uh, you would grant um, Brian a special measure of your comfort at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wasn't supposed to be preaching. Uh, this is not the passage I was all lined up to do. I found out about a week ago I was going to be doing this, so I take it that I'm supposed to be here this morning, that it is of the Lord for me to jump into this passage this morning. So I'm a baseball fan. I have a Love the San Francisco Giants, grew up rooting for the Giants, and I rejoiced a few years ago when they actually won the World Championship and they won the World Series three times, as a matter of fact. And the corner piece of that whole thing was uh, Buster Posey, the catcher. And uh, Buster, sadly to me, announced his retirement last year. And he's a quiet person. He doesn't like to speak very much, but he submitted to a press conference when he retired He had more to give in baseball terms. Um, He left $20 million on the the table, in fact, and he had a great year. He could have continued playing, but he decided to retire. So he uh, gave a little talk, and then he was asked questions, and he was asked this question, what do you want your legacy to be, Buster? What do you want your legacy to be? And he said, he answered, it was nothing about baseball. He said it was, uh, first of all, it was faith, and then family, and then the way you treat people, faith, family, and the way you treat people. So I think he has, he would be in agreement with the Apostle Paul, because for the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, faith is number one. And how you treat people is number two, but how you treat people emerges from faith. And we saw that last week in uh, the first part of the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians 4. And we're going to see it even more today. So we saw last week that we learn Christ in order to know Christ. So we learn about Christ. We learn the scriptures. We learn all about God in order to know God. And then out of that relationship, then how do we treat people? How do we relate to people? Well, Paul says we put off the old person and we put on the new person. In other words, we say no to life-diminishing choices and we say yes to life-enhancing choices. But how does that all work out in practical terms? Paul is going to tell us this morning. He gets very practical. And what it means to put off and to put on and to be renewed has very much to do with the way we speak. It has very much to do with the words that we use with one another. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So Paul is talking to believers here who have already put aside falsehood. Now, when he uses this word elsewhere in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, 
literally the falsehood here. He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about false worship. So he's saying you already made this choice to put aside false worship and to worship the one true God. Now in line with that, he says, speak truth to one another. So this first of all means speaking the truth of the gospel. When he uses these words elsewhere in Ephesians and in Galatians, he's talking about the gospel. Speak the truth of the gospel to one another. Let everyone know that God has won this great victory over evil. Let everyone know that their sins are forgiven. Let everyone know that eternal life is available. And if this keeps getting reinforced in a community, then we get the idea that things are okay. We get the idea that things are going to be okay. Speak the truth of the gospel in multiple ways. Reinforce the truth of the gospel to each other. But then secondarily, it means simply speaking the truth as opposed to being deceitful, as opposed to lying. Now, there are multiple reasons why we might lie or be deceitful or be subtle in our lying, but Paul doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be truthful with one another. If you're going to have a community, you need to have a community in which the members are truthful with one another. Because if there's deceit in the community, how can you trust each other? How can you actually build a community? So Paul wants us to speak the truth to our neighbors. And neighbor here means a member of the body of Christ. There is a sense, of course, in which everyone is our neighbor. But here specifically, Paul is talking about members in the body of Christ. And so then we need to be speaking the truth to one another because if we are deceiving one another, we are harming one another. But in reality, also, we are harming ourselves. If we, in fact, are the body of Christ... If we are members of one another, if I harm you, then I'm harming me. Paul says, don't do that. Speak truthfully with one another. Next, he transitions to the whole concept of anger. This is an important concept, especially for us today. Let's look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this cannot be a command to be angry, as if right now I am not angry, and I read this command, and all of a sudden, you hear this command, and all of a sudden, right now, we all have to get angry. Get angry right now. Find somebody to get angry with. Find something to be angry with. You're not angry? You're not, you're not obeying the scriptures. You've got to get angry. Come on. It says it right here. Now, obviously, Paul is not talking about that. So what then is he talking about? Well, the first aspect of this is, is that there is... Part of us that should be angry when certain things happen. It's a sinful world. It's an evil world. When evil happens, well, God gets angry. Yes, God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. Therefore, we can get angry and probably should get angry as well with the evil that is happening in this world. Are you angry, for example, with what is happening in Ukraine? Be angry. On the other hand, there are all sorts of reasons that we get angry because we are offended, because things happen to us, because people do things to us that make us angry. And sometimes these are slight offenses. Sometimes these are no offenses at all. Then we read offense into them. And sometimes they're significant. People do things to us that they shouldn't do. And then we get angry. So what is Paul wanting us to do in this this case? It's like you cannot... You cannot avoid getting angry. I think he's, a, he's allowing for that. Anger is an emotion that happens initially when we encounter something that we don't like, oftentimes, and we get angry. For example, 
you cannot drive a week in the Silicon Valley without getting angry. I challenge you. Now obey the command, okay? Be angry. I don't have to teach you that. You just get angry, right? You're going to get angry. You're driving for a week, and something's going to happen to make you angry. For example, a few weeks ago, I pulled out of the parking lot at PBC. I turned left. I was driving down Middlefield Road. I was about to get to San Antonio Road. I was in the left-hand lane. Somebody comes over from the right-hand lane, comes right in front of me, and slams on the brake intentionally, near as I could tell. There's nobody in front of him. He slams on the brakes in front of me. I got angry. So I continue driving for a little longer. He pulls over into the right lane, slows down, evens up with me, looks over to me, and he goes like this. So he wanted me to pull over so we could have this discussion. Maybe a discussion, I don't know. So what happened? I don't know. I must have offended him. I must have done something wrong. I was sort of oblivious. I was just pulling out. Maybe I, when I pulled out here, I cut him off. I don't know. I cut him off maybe some. I don't know. He was angry at me. So there was part of me that wanted to go over and sort of explain that all this was an accident, try to understand what he was angry about. Then again, he's 25 years old and he looks really angry. And I was angry too. But I decided to keep on driving. <laughs> I wasn't going to pull over, right? So what do you do in these situations? You, you, you get angry. I think it's okay to feel that emotion, but then you've got to deal with it. Express it to yourself. Express it to God. We have lots of psalms of lament in which they are expressing anger, anger to God, anger about others expressing it to God. But be careful, be very careful about what you say to others. That's where it crosses the line into sin, is when you use angry words with others. So Paul says this, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now he cannot mean this literally, as if maybe I'm going to get angry right before the sun goes down, and oh no, the sun went down and I'm still angry. Oh no, I disobeyed the command. No, this is proverbial. It means don't nurse your anger, deal with it quickly. And what, what for example, if you, would you do if you were living in northern Greenland during the summer and the sun never goes down? Okay, this is proverbial. Take the Bible for what it is. Okay, so don't nurse your anger, deal with it, deal with it quickly, speak to God about it, and then work things out so that eventually you understand his heart. And maybe you can actually love someone who is angry with you. You've got to work that out. You've got to do business with, God, business with God. Oz Guinness, who, by the way, spoke at this church, preached here a long time ago, says this. However an insult or injury is perceived, anger simply wants to get back at the perpetrator. As a result, prolonged anger becomes a perverted desire for justice that grows into an obsessive rage and finally into hatred. And we don't want that to happen. Sarah Barnhart was a French actress and uh, she was dying and some journalists were waiting to talk to her and she said this. Um, they tor- they've tortured me all my life. Now I'll torture them. That's nursing your anger. Certainly you want to be able to deal with your anger Quickly, and you don't want to carry it forward, and certainly you do not want to carry it to your grave. 
Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity. What is the devil wanting to do? In the body of Christ, create divisions. He creates divisions through anger by encouraging us to nurse our anger and take it to the next level. Paul says, don't give the devil that kind of opportunity. So how do we deal with this then? Jan Johnson gives us an example, a story from her life. Um, she's a, a writer, a speaker. She teaches at retreats. And uh, one woman in her church at one point said this. She's been accused her of like being away from uh, church for way too long and for teaching at retreats and not really caring about the church. And this particular critic said her career is more important than the church. So what are you going to do when you get a comment like that? Her career is more important than the church. Here's what Jan says. Years ago, that comment would have devastated me. But I have for years now lain face down in my living room carpet asking God if he wants me to speak publicly and if so, what my focus should be. The answer over the years has been clear. Retreats are my my specialty. She spoke, by the way, at two of our women's retreats years ago. Still, after hearing this woman's comment, I brought it to God for a while. I didn't sense a change in direction, but a change in me. I gained a compassion for my critic that I needed, and I was able to respond with a gentleness that surprised me. Deal with your anger that way. Paul now transitions to work. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, we only have one verse here about work as opposed to stealing, but the scriptures have much to say about work. I have preached about work uh, many times here at PBC, uh, probably most recently from 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the end there. So if you're interested, check out that sermon. Also, I've preached on the life of Jacob, and, and the Jacob narrative is the best narrative we have on the workplace, Jacob and Laban, so you can check out my sermons there. However... Uh, here, what does Paul say about work? So don't, don't be thieves, instead work. But what is the reason given here for going to work? It's so that you can have something to give to others who are in need. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about, oh, this is the reason I'm getting up in the morning, if you have a job, and going to work? Yes, I'm making an income, I'm providing for me, also for my family, But one of the reasons, according to Paul, that you're going to work each day is so that you can have something to give to others who are in need. So don't steal in order to take, work in order to give. So Paul now goes back once again to words. That seems to be his main subject here, words and how we speak. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Here Paul is talking about corrupting talk, And for the most part, what he means by corrupting talk is the kind of talk that tears other people down. Don't speak in such a way that tears other people down. 
And this is the kind of talk that our world specializes in these days, talk that tears other people down. So let's think about this. Why do we do this, if in fact we do it from time to time? Why do we speak in order to tear other people down? Don't we on occasion do so, or don't we want to do so, in order to build ourselves up? We're insecure, we don't feel that great about ourselves, but if we, if we can find someone else to criticize, that might make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. We tear each other down in order to build ourselves up. Also, we tear other people down in order perhaps to get attention. Because that's what gets attention these days. You tear other people down and that gets attention. Let me ask you a question. Which posts do you think get the most attention in social media? The posts that, that build each other up or the posts that tear each other down? It's the posts that tear each other down. And the algorithms know all of this. So it's all about outrage. It's all about tearing people down. And you get attention that way by tearing people down. What is Paul saying here? It's, it's, it's almost as if there are these words, this, this corrupting talk wants to escape from our mouths. It's right there. It's like inside our mouths. And all we have to do is open our mouths and release this corrupting talk. Release these words that tear other people down. It's like they're wanting to escape. And Paul says, don't let them escape. Guard your mouths. Yes, I know they're there. The words are there. But just because the words are there or just because this is what you feel doesn't mean you have to express it. Hold it in. Guard your tongue. On the other hand, Paul says, build each other up. That's the kind of talk that should easily escape from our mouths. Let it go. Let those words go. I know that corrupting talk that feels good initially when you let that go. But here's the stuff that's really good. Let those words go, the words that build each other up. And Paul says there's an awareness here that we can cultivate about when these words are necessary and who they are necessary for. So be aware regarding who might use some encouragement. Look for somebody who's down, maybe. Or just look into their eyes or be with someone. Be sensitive to the spirit. What's the need? What's the need of the moment? Who needs to be encouraged? Be aware. So, build each other up. Here we are. This is the body of Christ. We are the people of God. Build each other up. Build the body up. You're building yourself up. Build each other up. And when we do this, we give grace to other people. God gives us grace, and then we channel that grace, and we give grace to others so that they can accomplish the tasks that God has given them to do. That's what we do when we build each other up. We give them grace, and they're encouraged actually to serve God. They may be down. They may de be depressed. They may be discouraged in all sorts of ways, but if we encourage them, maybe we can get them off their feet back in the game so that they can actually do the things that God wants them to do. So one of the things I do, obviously, as a pastor is I speak. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm using words. And so one of my filters when I'm preparing a sermon is what's helpful. I try to ask myself, when I'm constructing a sermon, 
what's helpful for these people today? There are certainly some things that I could say that are not helpful, and I hope there are some things that are helpful, but that's my filter. And um, so I ask myself that question, and then um, hopefully then what you get is helpful. I know it's not always the case, but at least that's the question I'm asking. Sometimes I include words that aren't helpful, um, and uh, sometimes there are words that aren't there that, that could be helpful that I don't speak, but anyway, that's my filter. So what I do for my sermons on Sunday is I write a manuscript up and that gets posted so you can get the director's cut there. From that manuscript, then I just take up with me on a Sunday morning a bare bones outline. So I say a lot of things that aren't in the manuscript and there's a lot of things in the manuscript uh, you know, that don't make it into the sermon and, and, and then I add other things. So that's the way it is. But before I preach, I give my manuscript to my wife and I say, would you please read this? And uh, she comes back to me once in a while and says, uh, this, this paragraph here, this sentence here, uh, not helpful. <laughs> not helpful. So on more than one occasion, she has saved me and she has saved you. <laughs> What's helpful? Think about that when you're speaking to people, when you're thinking about some of the words you might use. What's helpful? That can be helpful. So uh, Paul says, don't tear one another down. When you do this, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed you for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, we saw earlier in the book of Ephesians, has sealed those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. That seal means that we are owned by God. We are owned by God forever, leading up to, of course, the day of redemption when Christ comes back and we get new bodies and we get the new creation. So the Holy Spirit has sealed us. Don't grieve him. Certainly, we do not want to grieve other people with our words, but if that doesn't motivate us, perhaps we might think about God himself. Perhaps we might think about the Spirit, because the Spirit grieves when we damage one another. Maybe we don't want to damage the Spirit of, uh, uh, grieve the Spirit of God with our words to one another. Now, the six words in verse 31 all concern an inward attitude or an outward expression of that attitude. And these words are not helpful, bitterness and the like. So what we want to do is not speak those kinds of words. We want to speak uplifting, encouraging kinds of words. A couple of the guys in that video talked about the the possibility of looking into someone's life and to be able to say, I see this in you. That's encouraging. If you can look into someone's life and say, I see this in you, that's encouraging. That's happened to me on more than one occasion, but on, on one particular occasion, it was especially powerful. I was toward the end of my journalism career. I didn't know that I was toward the end of it, but I was involved very much in ministry. I was probably spending more time involved with the church, teaching Bible studies and shepherding college students and high school students, going on mission trips to Mexico than I was actually doing my real job. And I started thinking to myself, am I in the right place? Am I in the right career? Is it time for the change? Is it time to think about something different? And right about the same time I was thinking about that, four or five people in the church and even a couple of missionaries in Ensenada, Mexico, came up to me independent of one another and told me, I see a pastor in you. They encouraged me that way. They built me up that way. And they gave me courage to face into this decision because I didn't want to wrestle with that decision at that point. But they gave me the courage to do that 
because they could look at me and say, I see this in you. They built me up. Let's build one another up. And let's be on the lookout for how we can actually do that. Wouldn't that be great? We're actually sort of on the lookout for who I can encourage. How can I encourage someone today? Be on the lookout for someone to encourage. Finally, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. After you read verse 31, doesn't verse 32 come as a tonic? Look at 31 again. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, awful words. After you read those words, don't these words sound just beautiful, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. This is how we should be toward one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven us. And if that's happened, if he saved us from hell, do you think maybe we could be kind to one another? He has been so kind, so gracious to us. With kindness, we build one another up. Kindness, so needed today in our world. What a ministry we can have, a ministry of kindness. You don't need to be especially gifted in this way to be kind. You can be kind to one another. We can be kind in the church. We, we can be kind outside the church. What a ministry we can have. And, how, and really, we have a tremendous amount of power simply with our mouths, the power to tear down or the power to build up. Let's be men and women of kindness who build each other Samuel Johnson was, the, uh, was a leading literary figure in 18th century England, and he had all these friends who engaged in, co- in a conversation and treated it as a competition sport. Who can put each other down? Who, who can gossip the best? And Samuel Johnson, on the other hand, was a devout believer, and he had these people over for dinner all the time, and his friends didn't understand why he was doing this. These particular people that Samuel Johnson was inviting over for dinner really couldn't contribute to this vital conversation that they were having. And uh, he was asked one time by a friend why he did that. Why did he invite all of these people over to dinner who really had nothing good to say? And Johnson replied that the point of the whole thing was to eat and drink together and to promote kindness. What a concept. Have people over. Eat a meal together. Promote kindness. Let's think about ways that we can promote kindness. What have we seen in the last half of Ephesians chapter 5? Learn Christ to know Christ. Draw near to him. Understand his greatness. Understand his goodness. Understand the power and the love and the grace of God. Especially in the book of Ephesians, Understand the grace of God. What do we see here in this chapter, in this particular passage? We see that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God for the day of redemption. You cannot overestimate that. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us until and including and beyond the day of redemption when Christ comes back for us. What else do we see in this passage? We see that God in Christ has forgiven us. We see the Trinity here, by the way. We see Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. We are Trinitarians in this church. The triune God ministers his incredible love, his incredible grace to us. Can you see the grace of God? Here and elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, can you see the grace of God in your own life? And it is the grace of God that transforms us. And the grace of God as we understand it, as we learn Christ to know Christ, that's the thing that ends up giving us better desires. Better desires. And it's the grace of God that gives us better desires so that we actually want to build each other up, so that we want to give grace to others. So here's what I want you to do this week. Think of at least one person. You can think of many more if you want, but think of one person who you can encourage this week. Not a huge challenge. It can be done very easily. Think of one person who you can encourage this week. And be kind to everyone. I'd like to invite you to stand as the band comes up and I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to continue worshiping and responding to the Lord. Heavenly Father, um, your grace is abundant. It is beyond belief. We need the Spirit to help us believe it, to help us to learn Christ, to know Christ, to understand your great love for us. And then, Lord, out of that relationship, to live in light of that relationship so that we are kind to one another, so that we love one another, so that faith is first, and then relationships flow out of that. But because faith is first, we come to the altar, and the Father's hands are open wide. Amen.